Welcome to the Mom Voice. This is Lauren and Sarah with episode 74. Okay, I'm beyond excited because we have Miss Roxanne Granada in studio with us, and she's going to be sharing her personal story all about recovering from a spouse with addiction and betrayal trauma and all the things. This is going to be a great one. And I'm so excited. Well, thank you for coming, Roxanne. Welcome, welcome. Thank you. I'm so glad that you guys asked me to come. No, yeah. I, I think as well, some huge information, some really relative information that I think we can all really learn from for our own relationships oh, I, and I marriages. Think it touches all of us in some way. And so just to give a quick bio on you, Roxanne, you were originally raised in Northern California. Is that right? I was. Yep. She's an author of the book, Cutting Ties, Healing from Betrayal Trauma as the Spouse of an Addict. She has a podcast herself that airs each Monday, correct? And it's called Choose In. So go check that out. And then you are a mom to four biologically. And then you married into three additional children, right? That's so seven right. total. Yeah. That's incredible. Good job. <laughs> okay. Well, well, we have like so much to cover here. Yeah. We are going to really spin the book. We always do a hit and miss at the end of every episode. I don't think we're going to do it on this one because okay. again, there's just like so much content to get to here. Yes. Um, we are just dying to pick your brain, Roxanne. We're so excited. We had, well, wait a minute. We have to share the story of how we came upon Roxanne. Yeah. Yeah. Totally funny and random. We've been recording in Salt Lake City and I was in Target. Sarah had already headed up to the checkout and I ran back to an aisle to get something. And this cute gal just started talking to me about my top where I got it from. And she asked me, she just kept talking. It was really sweet. And She's was, trying to make a friend. Yeah, she was like, where are you from? Oh, what are you visiting for? And I just mentioned, well, I'm here with my friend right now. We're doing some podcasts, like interviews. We have a podcast. And so she just like abruptly just like, oh my gosh, how cool. You know what? I have a great person you should get on your podcast. And she said, Roxanne. She said, I just have like loved her book. I've learned so much. She's been such a great resource for me, for someone that's gone through something similar. Yeah. She's wonderful. You got to check her out. So I, she literally sent me a text that night and I reached out and we connected so quick and it's been amazing. So, so cool. I know. What it a is a crazy really cool. story. It is a crazy story. Yeah. So you clearly have some fans out there. And really, you've really touched a lot of people, which is incredible. Absolutely. So, and mean, somehow the stars have aligned. And yes. we have you sitting here with us. I know. It. It's in, the in, best. In a very short time frame here. This yes. is really amazing. It's the best. Okay. So. Well, let's just dive right in. We're going to kind of turn it over to you. Like, tell us your experience, how this all started, this journey for you. How did this all start? Mm-hmm. Okay. So I got married the first time back in 1992. Uh, four, sorry. Yes. <laughs> Back in 1994, and it was six months into marriage that I came home from work and found the TV stuck between stations on this fuzzy picture of pornography. And I was like, okay, this is weird. I hadn't experienced anything like that. I had seen pornography when I was 12, but I didn't have a family that struggled with that or anything. My dad didn't. So I just was like in complete shock. And I was thinking, okay, wait a minute. We totally love each other. We are just, we date all the time. We cannot keep our hands off each other. What in the world? Why would he need to do this? Right. Absolutely. Yeah. So I said something to him and asked him and he said, yes, he had been looking at it. So it was interesting at that moment though, for me was even though it was just this fuzzy picture where since then, with everything I've been through, I have now seen a, a ton of it. So I, I get the severity that it gets to. But this is just, we're talking very small in comparison to what 
I later found out. But even in that moment, I felt all of these these feelings and emotions in my body that I had never experienced before. So the emotion was like anxiety and stress and anger. I was crying all the time. I felt this, this piece of shock that I could not believe that this had happened. It just wasn't even in my realm. And did he act like, Oh, so apologetic, so ashamed. Or was he like, Oh, Sorry, uh, yeah, won't happen again. Everybody does it, it. Play it down? How did he right. react? Yeah, he he did say he was sorry. We actually went and visited with our church leader. Yeah. And at that time, it was he was awesome, the, the church leader. He gave us some things to do. He actually even shared his personal journey with trying to stay clean and sober from pornography, which was amazing. Interesting, At yeah. that time, I didn't know there were any other resources. Right, So right. we just went home and we read scriptures more and we we just kind of applied these basic things to our life more than we had and I just thought okay I guess this is the answer right but something changed in me that day and it stayed the entire time I was married for 21 years before I ended up needing to choose divorce but all those years I was never able to regain trust for my husband again and that is really the hard part from that day from, from you that felt day. that shift happen mm-hmm. from that day yeah and not that it couldn't have though but the as we went along which we'll get into I'm sure I never felt that he was choosing into recovery in a way that felt safe for me and over the years I would keep finding things over and over and at over. the beginning there was he reassuring to you and like committed to making this better I, I want you to be happy I want you to forgive me or again was he kind of like you know, I don't know, simple and basic about it. Yeah. For him, the way he kind of worked was that he was always so sad, but he never came forward in all the 21 years. He didn't come forward to say, Hey, I'm struggling. I have an issue. I'm having a problem. I would question him and he would say, no, I would never. I love you so much. Mm -hmm. And he would lean in and try to kiss me and just, and I would just look at him and I would always have to be in this place of discernment, trying to feel and see if he was being honest or not. And at times I had evidence and at other times I didn't. Oh, Mm -hmm. and that has to be so hard. The trust in a marriage, any relationship, I mean, it has to be there. So that had to be just so hard for you. How long did he say that it had been going on? Did he say, oh, this was a one-time thing or just, I'd done it a few times or was it like a year or two problem that he never came forward with? This was a problem that started when he was 11, which that's most, most people who struggle with addiction, they started when they were younger. Yes. Not usually older. Right. And yeah. so exposure it's just with mm-hmm. the friends or the stupid boy. Did he thing? share his experience? Of yeah, not he... at that time, but okay. a few years in, I just kept finding things and, and eventually we got into counseling and 12 step work and, and other things. And I learned about where it started and he was open about that. Mm-hmm. So really the thing is that I learned that was key later was that it didn't matter what I did, who I was, what I looked like this was something he came into the marriage with already. And did that affect, so in those early days, did it ever hit your self-esteem? You know, like walk me through those feelings because I think if I were in those shoes, I think we've talked about this before, personally, Lauren, like I think it would play such a number on my mind of I'm not thin enough. I've got too much cellulite. He doesn't love like, me enough. Or oh, even just, all the things. And But like you said, I mean, obviously we realized through it all, it's it's his problem. It's nothing to do with you. But in those t- times, no, well, how but did you how, feel? How long does it take you to get to that point? That's right. what I'm saying. I do, is that a 21-year 
process or were you able to get there earlier on? Okay. Well, I didn't start counseling until way later. I didn't even, I didn't grow up with counseling. Not that I thought it was totally wrong or anything. I just didn't think you do it. And I just thought I can do this. I can save this. But yes, to your question, I absolutely over the years, okay, I'm going to be cuter and smarter and sexier. And I'm going to greet him at the door when he comes in and I'm going to give him all the love he needs so that he doesn't need to have this. Right. So I didn't start counseling. I started 12 step in 2012, which was 17 years into marriage. That's when enough evidence came out where I caught something where I was like, okay, this is something bigger than just that he's making dumb choices. Mm -hmm. Right. But so all those years before though, yes, I did feel I was always trying to, you know, look different a little bit or be skinnier or whatever. But I learned that it does not matter. I promise you, it does not matter what you look like, what you do, because we were together Valentine's day, obviously romantically, intimately. And the next day, this was in 2012 is when I caught him at his office with all this other stuff. So do you see how, what I mean? It doesn't matter how much you offer anything. It has nothing to do with you. And what's also kind of interesting is sex addiction doesn't actually have anything to do with sex. It's just the drug of choice. I've heard, I've heard that. I've learned that. Yes. So it's not necessarily that you're being boring in bed or you're not doing things he wants or pleasing him in certain ways. It's not necessarily that. No. Interesting. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. From what I've learned, it's a wiring in the brain of like the addiction and that's just kind of the, the, the thing that triggers well, it, yeah, right? The, like, can you explain it? Yeah. Oh, kind of. I mean, I don't know all the clinical terms, but in our brain, we have a, a, a spot that is our pleasure center. And then we have our other one that is more of your willpower. Right. And generally the willpower is bigger than the pleasure center, but addiction cuts those pathways. And so they're not connected anymore. And so the addictive part becomes bigger. Mm. So the pleasure center becomes bigger. And then what happens is that wave rolls in of addiction. They use in whatever form. In my husband's case, it was pornography and masturbation. And it later went to a little bit other things. But but that was his drug that would roll in. And then after the fact, he would be so sad, so telling himself, I'm the worst. I feel so terrible. The shame, the shame is huge. And they commit to themselves. They're not going to do it again. And they believe it. And it's true because there's really two people that are fighting this. The the real person that we know and love, that's yes. our family member that we care about, and then the addict person. And so it's really a fight that they have to choose into to decide, are they going to let who they are really win or are they going to let the addiction win? And can you win that battle? Do you think in your experience is somebody who might be dealing with addiction are you able to overcome that person? Is the addict able yeah. to overcome? Yeah. Absolutely, 100%. If they do the work, mm-hmm. if they if they do it. So at what point did your husband start, you know, putting in that work? Or, and and did, or did he? Mm-hmm. Uh, did he start a counseling program? Was it right off the bat? Did it take a few years to kind of move into that? What was his path like? Okay, so in 2012, when I caught him at yes. his office, just okay. Yep, I we again went to go visit our church leader, and I'm just praying in my mind the whole time, going, "Okay, he needs to tell us something more than read our scriptures." Like right. oh, I am, it, yes. I feel crazy, and this yes. is now, it's just getting ridiculous, at least on my end, because this is not okay. Right, it's it's not good, 
And he did. He introduced us to the 12-step program. Mm -hmm. So he committed us to go for four years because in addiction to recover from addiction, you need recovery for three to five years. Really? Yeah. So mm-hmm. to, to re-hook together those... Neurotransmitters. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so he committed us to four years and we started going. We never missed. And like every week. Yes. And we became, I don't know if you're familiar with 12 Step, but mm-hmm. there's a facilitator in the group. So you've got the people who are in charge and then you have somebody who kind of starts the sharing. You've seen them on movies yeah. where it's like... Hi, I'm Roxanne. Everybody yes. says, hi, Roxanne. And yes. I say, so this week, right? So so I was a facilitator. He was a facilitator for his group. And he was just playing the part so well. So a year later, 2013, things were so terrible. And I was just praying about it going, okay, this is crazy. We've been doing this. Why are things so much worse? And he told me it's because God, I'm talking about God. Okay. God he's like, he's not telling you the truth. He's actually lying. Mm. And he goes, he's going to need to leave. You need to ask him to leave. And I was thinking, what? No, like I have these kids and we're happy. And I, I love him. He can choose us. How can he not choose us? We are the greatest. Right. So I'm just thinking this is insane. But again, I just really felt that even though I didn't have evidence, he needed to leave or he needed to get help. Mm -hmm. So I told him that I had family in town that weekend. It was just, I mean, you know, families, I mean, it's just, they're there and you're just thinking, why is it this weekend? But I told him on Monday, you would need to leave. And he just said, you're wrong. Your inspirations are off. You're crazy. If you get medication, I will stay with you. And I said, I am so sorry, but I do not believe you. You will need to leave on Monday. So was this a spiritual journey for you? Like 100%. throughout the whole process or it just was. towards the end? Well, I mean, you were leaning on your faith throughout this just to kind of get through it. And it, and this, was this the only time you were inspired by this or was there markers along the way? Oh, all along the way. And the only reason is because as I was going through it and I felt so chaotic in my insides and trying to manage, and it was like hands to my head going, I do not know what to do. I do not know how to do this. Mm -hmm. It was like either I was going to die in this spiral of my own craziness. Yes. Or I was going to go to God and be like, do you know more about this than I do? And I just had to decide to give it over because I didn't know how to do it myself. So can I ask, I'm sitting here thinking, taking it away from the moral part of Mm -hmm. it that like so many Christians, religious people like see it as a sin, right? I feel like so many people are okay with it today. Do you feel like it can be harmful to a relationship even if you're not looking at it from a moral standpoint. Do you understand what I'm asking? Absolutely. So I'm curious your standpoint on that. For sure. And I get that. Whether you believe in God or a higher power of some kind, it it really comes down to the lies and the manipulation and the deceit. Yeah. So in any relationship, nobody wants lies, manipulation, and deceit. Absolutely. So it's like that. Now, I, I got my inspirations from God so much. I also... I attribute it to he is my higher power and he would send me things, whether it was people or posts online or, or anything. And that, if you're not religious, those things are still coming into your life and happening with you. You'll see a post online that was meant right for you and you know, so anybody can gain what they need if they're looking for it. If Mm -hmm. they're looking to see that the tools really are there to show them kind of what to do or what they're actually in the reality of the situation, they're there. 
you thought that he was seeking out help the whole time, right? Like seeking to be better and seeking and making promises to you that he clearly wasn't keeping, but he was trying to be better for you. What what happened was when we started 12 step back in 2012, he then two weeks in, he, what you could call a slip or a relapse where he used again. And in his mind, instead of coming forward with it, he was like, well, clearly I can't recover from this. So I'm just going to play the game and pretend and I'll take it to my grave. And what about mm. those 17 years though prior? Is that normal life acting totally normal? You're thinking it's gone. You guys are moving on having children or was it, was it an issue at all in those years coming up to 2012? It was always showing up. Always, I found yes. it in my kids' videos when I was cleaning them out one day when I had little tiny kids and just all along the way, I would find different things and I would say something and he would be like, oh, I, I didn't mean to. I'm not going to do it again. Yes. So through those 17 years, there were so many good times. Yes. And then there was always that lingering feeling of anything can be happening. I do not trust this person. But it messes with your mind, the good times sometimes. Yes. Be- oh, absolutely. And children. Think, mm-hmm. oh, children are a huge factor into this. Here you are having children. And those are such exciting, joyous times that he's the father of your children. So you have that rationale going in your brain the whole time. So I totally get that. Um, so what led up to you finally? He, You asked him to leave. And then how did you decide you were ready for a divorce. Okay. So you were done. Mm-hmm. So this is 2013 when I felt like I needed to ask him to leave. Yes. And he said all those things that we talked about. Yes. So he left for the day and I started grabbing laundry to do. And I pulled a pair of shorts off of the shelf and a key fell out. And I knew what it was. He had lost his office key like a month or so before. And I, I knew what I needed to do. So I went over to the office and I flipped on his computer screen and looked up the history from the day before. And it was filled with so many crazy things I had no idea even existed. I'm I'm completely unaware of that dark world. That's not my world. So my brain isn't looking for it or noticing or, or worried about any of those things. So I found a whole nother level of where his addiction was. And does your heart drop in that moment? What emotion comes in that moment? I'm just curious. Oh, absolute shock, panic, fear. I grab the garbage can. I'm, I'm thinking I'm going to throw up because this is stuff that is not okay at all. And so I'm just kind of freaking out going, Oh my gosh, Oh my gosh, Oh my gosh. Like just over and over. I took pictures of the screen and, uh, that night he got in bed. So this is a Saturday night and I'm telling him he's leaving on the Monday. That's kind of where we're at. And we get in bed and he, he says, I just have a few things I want to say. And I'm like, okay. And he pulls out this list and he starts listing off, reading off this list of things that are wrong with me. (gasps) I know. And Uh, I just thought how grateful I was that I was already prepared to not go into this thing. I mean, that's like gaslighting. I don't know if you guys are familiar with that, but making your reality not true. Yes, that manipulation. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And so I'm looking at, I'm just thinking, this is crazy. Like addiction really steals a person. Yes. That it robs them of their life. Honestly, it really does because to do that and act and he's so calm and reading this letter and just, I don't know. It was crazy. So then I just said, well, I just have one thing as well. And he's like, okay. And then I just started reading word for word, the whole list. I know. Oh my gosh. And then he sunk and then he cried and then we talked all night. I just have a pit in my stomach. I like know. I can't even imagine what you felt that day. Like, but maybe also you 
it was such like, it was just the tip of the iceberg. I mean, you have been feeling that for so many years. Or it was such a relief. Yes. And it was such it was your a, out. Um, it was your out to an be. An exhale of the years leading up to it. Like, okay, this is where we need to go from here. Right. Although the story is so hard and maybe you know family members or friends that have gone through this or you watch people in abusive situations that don't leave or that don't uh, see it for what it really is. That's still where I was because I was trying to save a family, save a marriage, save a person. I really carried this burden that I could do this. And so even at that time, so he cries and he's emotional. The next day we visit our church leader. He makes all these different commitments. He tells his parents, my, I tell his parents, sorry, I told his parents, he then told my parents, my parents cried with us. They hugged him. It was a emotional experience, very loving. And then I felt different that he could stay. And my answer, it's interesting in life because one day the answer might be one thing and the next it might be something else. And that's all because of our willingness to choose into change and being that in that humble space. Mm -hmm. So I saw humility at that moment, but what I learned later, because at that point, then we got into counseling and Mm -hmm. started learning and I started healing what I needed to heal so that I could think different and be different and not try to save him from the consequences of his actions, Mm -hmm. his codependency and, and seeing things clearly and let those kind of things just kind of fall the way they needed to be. So prior to this point, had you not been in counseling yourself? Mm -mm. Okay. Yeah. And so is this where you learned about betrayal trauma or had you learned about that before? I learned about it in 12 step. Okay. In 12 step. Explain what betrayal trauma is. Okay. So it's kind of like that feeling. It goes back to all the way back in 1990 four when I first found pornography and my body had this reaction. Mm -hmm. So then over the years, as things come up that trigger those scary feelings, Mm -hmm. your body goes into your heart races. My legs would shake uncontrollably. I couldn't, couldn't stop them. Mm -hmm. And you're feeling like you don't know how to manage your life. So it's a very, it's a lot of anxiety is what it really is. And do you, and so you went into, you had betrayal trauma from day one. So going all these years, does that just get more severe or do you, were you doing things to help kind of control that and treat that? Or you didn't address it till your counseling towards the end. I didn't address it because I didn't even know what it was. I didn't even know that what I was experiencing was anxiety for one. I hadn't ever experienced it. So I didn't even know what that was in my system. Mm -hmm. So I didn't learn that till later. Somebody told me, Oh no, that's anxiety. I'm like, Oh wow. I mean, it's normal now, but I had no idea what it was. I mean, when do you start, when and how do you treat betrayal trauma? Like what is the the, you know, the counseling, the, the recovery for that. Right. It's important to get the recovery because it really is like PTSD Yeah. because your body responds. So over the years I would be places in public places that would trigger me would be people that were not clothed very much, which I later learned they can be wearing a turtleneck and he can make a story in his head. It doesn't really matter. So yeah, yeah. He either is a healthy brained person or he's not. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. those things being out on vacation, things like that would trigger me because of the way he was also. Yeah. And because of my own trauma that had happened, that shocking yeah, feeling. The trust. So yeah, right. you do. You need counseling for it. It takes a long time. It really does. But you've been in this accident really. And if you were in a car accident, and you were on the ground, people would 
expect that you would need the help you need. Yeah. You would have casts and you would have physical therapy and you would have maybe even counseling because maybe a car hit you and you have all this trauma around that, right? And everybody would be like, yes, of course. And you would get food brought to you. <laughs> but in Special this, treatment. Yeah, but in this, it's like people don't take care of their emotional needs and they don't even realize that they need to. What oh, my be- Yeah, what my belief was is that if my husband stopped doing this, I would be okay. But mm-hmm. the damage had already been done. I had already been hit by the truck and I hit, got hit over and over and over by the person who was trying to help me back up. And when you were going through all of this, did you have anybody to lean on? Did you have friends? Did Did anyone know about it? Did you share it at all? You're so open about it today sitting here. I'm just curious, like, was this a lonely road for you? Was what, what did that look like in 1993 and four? It was super lonely for sure. Yeah. I chose not to tell anybody. That's my own perfectionism. That's my own we looked like the best family. I thought we really were. And if we could just get past this, mm-hmm. everything would be okay. Right. Mm-hmm. So right. nobody knew. Our families didn't know until 2013 when we told them that day. Oh, oh bless your heart. Right. Well, that is such to do a that. heavy burden to yes. carry. But it's interesting how it all falls in, in place. When everything came out at the, for me, the main part in 2012, I was so I was in this fog. I don't know if you've ever had traumatic experiences where you almost feel like it's like you're driving and you get from one place to the next and you don't even know how you got mm-hmm. there. Totally. So it's kind of this disassociative state. So I would be in that a lot. And I was just in this fog of what am I even supposed to do? And I had a friend who she sent me a text and she's like, hey, let's meet for lunch. And at that moment, I was in the bin aisle of Home Depot. I hadn't gotten ready that day. I was in sweats. I had a hat on, no makeup, which I never did that anyway. (laughs) And she's like, let's meet. And I'm like, oh, no, you know, not today. And she texts back, no, we're going to meet. We're going to meet for lunch. So I'll see you there in 30 minutes. And so I agreed. And she said, the minute I walked in, she knew. Mm. She said, because like 10 years before, she had gone through the same thing. And they had been going to 12 Step for however many years. So she was like this person we sat and just talked mm. forever. And it's just kind of, it's just kind of neat. She was at her, her daughter's school helping and she's walking out and she starts texting me. And then the minute I said, no, I don't want to go. She's like, oh good. I don't even know why I'm texting her. I don't even want to go to lunch. Mm-hmm. She goes, and then I'm texting you again that we're going anyway. So she oh, said, it's wow. just so Very inspired. Yeah. That's really, so that um, was the first person. Well, 12 step was the first group where I found that I wasn't the only one. It wasn't yes. just me. Cause honestly, you really do feel like nobody else's spouse is doing this to right. them. Right. And I feel like if you could look back on that self, your the version of yourself that was going through this back then, would you do it different? Would you talk to your family? Would you or no? Would you still keep it private? Oh, well, what I, I mean, know now, yes, but it's such a learning process. Mm-hmm. We only know what we know. Right. Right. And so right. as I would learn more, then I would do things differently. Right. So I did for a little bit, I would look back and I would shame myself even for staying so long. Yeah. And I would be like, and how did I not know all this was happening right along, like right next to me? Right. Right. And my counselor said, well, you're, you're not supposed to know you're being you and you are in a trust. You think you're in a trusting relationship. You don't think that way. So why would you know? So don't take on his stuff. Mm-hmm. He's the one who lied and manipulated. That's his yours. You were just being what you should be 
in yeah. a relationship. So I just didn't know and I didn't know how to see it. I knew there was something wrong. I knew from the very beginning of marriage. Right. And I would ask, but he was very convincing and good at telling me there wasn't. And I think most addicts are. I think most addicts, like you said, in in the moment that they've been discovered or, you know, whatever, they do feel horrible and they do feel guilt and shame and all the feelings and they do love you. That's the hard part. Like knowing addiction a little bit, it's so tragic to me because they do, they are split inside, like you said, and it's almost, they do have to make a choice of which, which route they're going to go down. Well, and bringing up that, that reminds me too, that and the spouse, the wife, generally the wife, but she also has a choice of what road she wants to go down. Mm-hmm. So where I was is I found that I wanted to save him and save the relationship where if I would have looked at myself and watched myself dying inside and knowing if someone had told me early and early on that I could choose me and it was okay to choose me, yeah, then things might've been different. Yeah. And I, and I think that's a message that needs to be said more, especially in, you know, churches, religious groups, whatnot, where divorce is looked down upon so much. And don't get me wrong. Like, I think you need to fight so hard for your marriage. I really do. But I also think there's some deal breakers. I really do. Yeah. And yeah, I, I think that's a good message. Both to people share. need to be fighting for right. it. That's the difference. Usually in addiction, if the addict doesn't want to fight for it, The spouse is doing all of it. And it goes back to being that equal partnership. If your spouse is doing the work and wants to change that addiction, then absolutely stay and fight. Yes. But if they don't, and you keep seeing it over and over that their actions are showing you different than what their words are, then you can't, you can't carry them to safety. You really can't. And well, and it breaks my heart when you say that really, you never trusted him. I think, I, I think of a relationship and how hard it would be to be in a relationship with someone if you did not trust them. Trust is such like a core principle in, a, in any sort of marriage or relationship. So that's such a challenge. I mean, it is and it isn't. I can also see as you have kids and it yeah, gets and busy and believe. life just starts rolling. I yeah. can see how the years tick by. I really can't. Like you're parenting and you are in, the in this marriage and you're yeah. in the extracurricular activities and the vacations and all the things. Like I can see how you end up 15 years later, like then dealing with something that was there a while back. You know what I mean? I, and what did that look like? So here you have, you have four kids together. Is that correct? Right. I mean, so you're starting to have children and I do want you to, we haven't even gotten to the moment you decided you do want a divorce, but like having the kids like play into that and raising kids, how old were the kids and when like, yeah. yeah. And again, how did you decide like, okay, I, I can't do this anymore. I do want a divorce. With the kids, I saved them from it all until yeah. later on. Yes. So yes, 2013, we just talked about a whole year later, again, we're at an all-time low. Yes. And it's worse than ever before. And at that point, I knew I needed to tell him that he needed to go to rehab or he needed to get out. So there is rehab for sex addiction, 90-day yep. programs, just like other addictions. Yep. And he he said he wasn't going to. He was going to divorce and he would tell the kids on Monday this was a... Uh, it was a Monday. It was a, it was a Monday. And he would tell them the next Monday that we were going to get divorced, which I thought was strange, but I was like, all right, well, we have a week to try to get him to change his mind that he'll go to rehab. And I called in a prayer intervention between his family and mine. And we just, every day I would wake up and pray and be like, okay, what am I supposed to do today? 
and mm-hmm. nothing was changing. And it was, it was just terrible. I knew I wasn't supposed to say a word to him that entire week, like not a single word about anything. So every night I'd get in bed, say nothing. And I just kept myself back because he wasn't going to hear me at this point. I needed him to have a change of heart in some other way other than me. Cause at this moment in his mind, I was the enemy. I wasn't his teammate. And so he doesn't want to hear anything from me. So I just stayed quiet, which is hard to do mm. when you're like wanting to say something. Uh, well, and I was going to say, could you really sleep next to him? I just feel like I would just want to. Uh, yeah, Lauren's probably a little more aggressive. Yeah, I, know, but I just don't even think I could be in the same room as him. No. Like, did you feel that way? Or were you 100%. feeling like uh, compassion for him? Or were you angry at this point? I or mean, robotic yeah. at this or, point? Or yeah, were you just yeah. going through the motions oh, no. and numb yeah. to it yeah. all? Never numb to it all. Yeah. I always wanted to stay in the present of what was happening. And Good. so it was hard. I slept in my closet a lot. Mm-hmm. I just had my pillow and blanket in there and I would listen to really soft music. I could not, my soul honestly was so shattered. There were sometimes, honestly, I would try to get in bed and I felt like I wouldn't wake up the next morning. Mm-hmm. And I would even tell him I really might die. I was so brokenhearted. Oh. I couldn't believe it. But in that time, laying next to him, no, I didn't sleep a lot in those years because even the energy of it all that we don't get along and he feels different than he ever has before because things are worse and he's doing things that are dark. And so it's not good. Right. So, yeah. But at that point it was Sunday night. So almost a week had gone by and nothing had changed. And I was in my closet and again, I was praying. And for me, that's just how I did this journey. So I was praying and I was like, how is this possible? How does one person's decision change an entire family of good people. Mm. Just and it does so often. And you're scared for the kids. It. I could, you, yeah, you don't want them to it. know about the divorce, anything. Oh yeah. You're just thinking this is crazy. And so I'm, I'm praying and I get this text and I look over and it's my brother and he says, don't worry. Angels are on their way. Mm. And I was like, I know mm. and I could feel it. It was like, Oh, I just calmed my whole body calmed. And I'm like, okay. And I got in bed And I just laid there. I said nothing. And after a little while, my husband started talking and he just started coming down, 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 meaning pride. It just started coming down and he started talking and he agreed to go to rehab. Two days later, I drove him to rehab and dropped him off and Mm -hmm. just thought, what an amazing miracle. And that's where it shows that really the tools are always placed in front of you. First of all, he had me who was really striving to do this with oh, him. Oh, you're fighting with yes, him. Yes. Well, like, like for him. For him. For yeah, him. For we're him. doing this. Yeah, oh, you are. And, and now here we are. Okay, it's going to be rehab. And anyway, so I don't know. It's, it's and amazing. And did he go through rehab? He did go through rehab. So you, he went through it. He loved it. I picked him up out of rehab. That was uh, August of 2014. And I gave him a year to choose into recovery. And what do you mean by that term? I've actually never heard that term before. Choose in to recovery. Okay. It could be anything that we're choosing into. We're always faced with decisions in our life of which direction we're going. Mm -hmm. And are we going to see reality clear? Mm -hmm. Are we going to see it and go, okay, I have a choice to make here. Are we going to choose into what is before us, the tools, or even reality, seeing our situation for what it really is? So in this case, choosing into recovery means, am I going to do the work 
that it takes, the counseling, the 12 step, in his case, rehab, am I going to continue doing what I need to do in order to have a healthy life and a healthy family? I have seen this. I, 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 I have seen this experience in my life and it is. You, you, they learn and you learn that it's a choice every day. They get up to make that choice that they're going to keep active in their recovery. They're going to make those right choices for themselves. So it really is an everyday battle for an addict. And so, yeah, it takes a lot of effort, a lot of commitment, and hopefully just like, yeah, a lot of love that they want this to work. And I think a word of encouragement I've seen in my life too, being the observer, I think, um, you can do all the praying, you can do all the set up all the tools, make all the meetings, make all the appointments, but like you cannot force that change of heart to come about for that person. Like it does have to be their choice. And I, I have seen it in my life too. And it is just like an incredible miracle. It's a miracle. Like when they do make that choice to choose in, I like that term to choose. There really is nobody better than somebody who has gone through the process of any sort of recovery and, and shows it because Mm -hmm. they are aware they are accountable. They're honest. Totally. You can fully trust somebody that has gone to the depths and decided to be different. Well, in in a way they are survivors. Mm -hmm, Like they, they, they do, because I, I personally believe that some people are chemically, genetically predisposed to fall into addiction. I, I mean, I, if you look at like my family tree or my pedigree, we have a lot of addiction. And I worry about that for my own children, that they're going to be genetically loaded in ways. And how am I going to parent them to prevent that and things like that? And so I, I do look at people, like you said, who come out of it, the other side, and you can truly see the change of their heart. It like radiates from them. And it's incredible. Like they've almost been through war and come out a survivor. It is. It is. Yeah, for sure. And when you look at, usually it starts when they're little children. And if you, if you look at them as a little child and you think of your own children at that age, at eight, nine or 10 years old, or even younger, I know a lot of addicts who start at age four. So their life has been taken from them and you would love that child. And you would be like, okay, we're going to get you the help you need and I'm with you and it would be fully supported. Mm -hmm. But when they are 40, you're like, are you kidding me? Like Mm -hmm. you want to be angry and mad and judge and hate. But these people that it's happening to, it's not just what we think about the slimy people in the basement of their house that never leave. It it really isn't. This is happening to the people that are in our families, people that we care about and love. Oh, absolutely. And they do recover though. Like you said, I know several. Some do, some don't. The ones who want to be honest and who come forward and say, hey, I'm struggling right now. Those are the ones who recover. The ones that you have to catch don't usually. I, I heard a really great thing, and I, I wish I would have looked it up before from a speaker about how shame like cultivates the addiction and how they when they hide that and and there is like and <clears throat> unfortunately with like religion and a lot of our faith and things I know that shame can be so thick and so heavy because we always want to make good choices and do the right thing and so when we make those wrong choices we hide them and we 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 just it becomes a cycle. Yeah, it becomes of like self medicating and then that and shame, all the things. that shame grows, yeah. and and so there is something to be said for when you know you make a mistake, anything, uh, you know, seeking help or talking to someone and trying to like get to the root so fast. But it, we're not like 
you know, even we don't think that way. We think we're going to be, oh, we're judged, we're embarrassed. It's, and you just hide it. And then that shame just like makes that addiction and that problem grow, grow, grow. I'm at the edge of my seat. Did he choose in at the end of reco- at the end of his rehab? Right. So he and recovery was amazing. His Good. rehab was amazing. He loved it. So I picked him up. I gave him a year to show that he would actually do the recovery tools because what I had found at that point when he was in rehab, I had his phone and I was just holding it and I'm like, "Okay, God, if there's things I need to know, if he has another life that I'm not aware of, I yes. need to know." And I show me. He showed me and he showed me so many things that were not going to be okay for me to ever be in again if he didn't recover. So when I found all of that, I called the rehab center. I talked to his counselor and I said, look, I just found all this stuff. And he said, don't tell him about it yet because he's right now in the middle of writing his disclosure. And a disclosure is your entire life history of what you've done because they need to be open and say everything, even the embarrassing things that they've done in their addiction so that they don't turn to them. It's kind of like cleaning out the closet, every corner, every cobweb. So nothing's in it. And at that point he hadn't put any of this new stuff in his disclosure. So he was keeping that out. So the counselor said, don't tell him he needs, he needs to come with this. And so every time he'd come back with it, the counselor would say, no, I don't think it's complete. I don't think it is. He finally did put everything in it, at least that I'm aware of anyway. But I asked him, okay, this stuff is non-negotiable for me. This stuff is scary and it is, I have teenagers at my house and this isn't okay. And he said, oh, I asked him, is he going to recover from this if he does the work? He said, absolutely. He will completely, absolutely abhor what he's done if he chooses recovery. Mm -hmm. And so I'm like, okay. So when I picked him up, you have a year to choose recovery. His counselor had this list that was great. You live this list and you will stay sober and you will live in recovery. So, uh, he just kind of, his behaviors wouldn't change. It was the same cycle, the same, same things over and over. He was probably sober, but there's a difference between sobriety and recovery. Sobriety just means you're not doing what you're not supposed to, Mm -hmm. but recovery means you're living honest and accountable and loving and you want to make it. Yes. You want to make things right. And you're honest. Like there's the transparency there right? and you don't have things to hide and all of it. Right. And so by January, he was not living those rules of recovery. And so we separated and we did an in-house separation at that point. That was January of now, uh, 15, Mm -hmm. now 15. And so then at that point I was just like, okay, you go do your recovery in your own room. If you do or don't, I'm no longer managing any of your stuff. I'm just going to be sit here and wait and see what happens. And I'll work on my own healing. And that was great. But by March we were in the counselor's office. He was gaming a lot. He was hiding things. And the counselor had him right on this list, how he rated himself in certain categories. And he rated himself a five in honesty. And so the counselor says, okay, so you can see how Roxanne has to look at you every time you say something and discern if you're honest or not. Mm -hmm. And he says, you guys, you guys should be so happy because I used to be a one. I know, I know. And I just, I looked at him, I said, you know what? I honestly would. I would celebrate with you. I would be so happy for you that you got to a five if you aspired to be a 10. But you think five is good enough. And he does. He, He did think that. And by the end, we divorced. I filed in August that year. And by the end, it came down to 
he basically said, you can do all this stuff if you want to. You can pray and fast and have the kids praying and all of these things, but it comes down to me making the decision and I don't want to. And it was, I was no longer, I was released at that point. I had done enough work. I understood what it was. I knew I couldn't change him. He had his own agency to choose that. And that's what he had And I think that's a life lesson Mm -hmm. is that, you know, you, you can't choose for someone else. Can't make them do something they don't want to do. Right. Oh my gosh. Oh my goodness. And so talk to us about your children. How did you how did you break the news to them? Right. So when he went to rehab, I still wasn't ready to say he was at rehab. I couldn't even believe that I was living in a home that someone was in rehab. It was just so shocking. So I just told him he, they knew he was starting to have problems. He was disengaged and different things that would not, were not normally like him. And so I said he was in this place. that's kind of like a retreat where you're getting help for the things that you need. Anyway, stuff like that. But once he was out of rehab, we actually moved from Boise to Southern Utah, where his program was, where his counselors were. And we decided to use that year with no distractions. We knew nobody at that point. And at that point, we told them, well, my second child, I'm not sure how old she was. I would have to think back, but I want to say maybe 14. Mm -hmm. She found my workbook that is, I can't remember even the name of it, but was something about healing heartbreak being the spouse of a sex addict. And so she's like, oh my gosh. Yeah, floored. Yes. And so she sees my workbook and I see that she sees it. She's in her room. I go in her room and she's in her closet. She had a little walk-in closet. And I said, hey. And she says, just a minute, I'm praying in here. I'm like, oh, she's so sweet. But she comes out and she said, mom, I was in there thinking, how can this be? How did I find this? Why did I have to see this? I should not have had to see this at all. She goes, but then all of a sudden I realized that I've always thought something was wrong with me because I kept thinking, why doesn't he connect with me all the way? Why does she could feel the missing connection because it is a connection disorder. That's Mm -hmm. what addiction is. So even though he was present and loving and we did stuff all the time, we were always together as a family she didn't feel like he was connected to her and she thought it was her. So it's like the truth really is there. And even when you don't think your kids know what's going on, they feel it and they do know. So how do they feel now when they read your book or listen to this podcast? I mean, obviously they probably know all the, the things now. I mean, are they like, heartbroken? Are they angry? Are they at a peace with it? Like, how do they feel? Yeah. When they're older now, right? Mm-hmm. You have mostly older. My youngest kids? is 17. So okay. I have two that okay. are in college and one okay. that's married. Yes. Yeah. So they, and it's been five years now at right. this point. They, they are so grateful that they know the truth. That's really what it was. The truth is really hard and it's painful. And you think, why is this happening? But it's the truth. And so it makes you feel better. Like, okay, right. at least I know what it is. So then I can navigate. And that's how they felt. Even as teenagers, we just talked truth. I did not berate their dad. I did not say all the details that would be harmful to them. I just told them truth. Any questions they asked me, I told them. Anything that I needed to share. When I filed for divorce, he left and never said goodbye. And that yeah. wasn't like him, but it's definitely the addict person that's in him. Yeah. And he didn't really have a lot of contact with them for a good year, possibly a year and a half. So it was, he was so different. So we took that time to totally live in truth, to talk about it. And they feel like they are so much better off now 
knowing what it feels like because their bodies knew something was wrong. So if I would have kept saying, no, no, everything is fine. We tend to do that to our kids. Oh, it's fine. No, no, no. Mom's not mad. Everything's okay. But they felt it. And this is a lesson, not even just an addiction, really like they know. So to be like, yes, I'm not feeling right. Or I'm angry helps them trust themselves. So now with dating, my two girls, they're in college and they're dating and they know what truth is and they know what questions to ask. And they know that if they feel off, it's okay. But if I would have saved them from the truth, they would not know how to trust their own selves. Well, I have to ask a question okay. that kind of, and, and, and you may not want to go there, but I feel like when my, one of my fears with pornography and especially addiction, pornography addiction or sex addiction, I just feel like it's the gateway to like infidelity. I mean, again, you don't have to go into it, but like, did that, do you feel that way in your experience, in your research, do you feel that way? Did that happen with you guys? Is, or maybe that's just Or was just it a concern? Of, yeah, it yeah. was that a concern? Right. Were you worrying that he might've been, you know, running around and it beyond just the computer or whatever, you know? Yeah, for sure. That's a big question. Addiction is interesting because every addict is different on what they're drug of choice in it is. So some people you'll find that people that you end up meeting or that you know already, their spouse tries to sleep with their friends. There's some sort of hit on that. Mine was a behind the scenes. He didn't have the confidence to actually go up to somebody and meet somebody. So he met up with people online. Mm. So he would meet up. He had what I know for sure is he had three different affairs that were online through Skype for two years. And that's what I had found. That was part of it, what I found when he was in rehab. And these people he was talking to on almost every day, on a regular basis for two years and meeting up sexually. Oh my gosh. So, right. but again, the heart doesn't know the difference, whether it's pornography, oh, right. whether it was the TV, whether it's actual in-person betrayal of the heart. Honestly, it doesn't matter. It's yeah. a matter of... That is infidelity if they're seeking out. goes back to the beginning where you asked the question about... The mistress in the room. The, mm-hmm. If it's the computer, if it's a person, if it's any of it. I mean, yeah, I would definitely classify, to me, pornography. It, it, it's all... Yeah, it's being unfaithful and to your heart, especially like you said. I feel like it's so... Uh, violating to your marriage and to the, you know, the sanctity of like, you know, sex You're and intimacy. And so it's just like, it's well, so I think, harmful. I think when you're on different pages about it, because let's be right. real, and a lot world, of the world, a lot of the world is they're okay more comfortable with, with so pornography. Maybe if both partners are on the same page about right. it and you're right. open and whatever, and there's not that deceit and betrayal. I mean, I don't know. I've not been in those shoes, but I yes. can see no, how, I'm me, yeah, yeah, I can see it, how when you're living such separate laws, like, you know, that it can be like, for sure. Beyond. You can't really say whether no. or not they agree or not as a couple. Right. Right. If you ask them if they feel close and loving and trusting with one another, and they feel that they can be exposed and vulnerable with everything to their spouse. I don't know if how they'd really feel or if there is a disconnect Mm -hmm. because when you add someone into your intimate relationship, you are now no longer fully connected to your spouse. You're connected to someone else as well. Right. Mm -hmm. So, but they, they live with it, whether they feel okay about it or whether they live in this place that they don't see it for what it is they just have decided it's okay. Right. Or they're yeah. telling themselves yeah, that it's okay. Yeah, right. Or it's not a problem. Everybody does it. Mm-hmm. Oh, I know. Right. Right. I mean, if you could narrow it down to some some lessons that you learned from this, I heard you say you touched on agency. Like, mm-hmm. 
that, you know, obviously you can't make somebody change essentially. What, are there any others like overarching lessons that you learned from this whole process? From all the women that I've talked to or met with in groups, the main thing is that we as women, for some reason, think we have to be the caregiver and take care of someone else to make sure that they don't fall to their death, right? Mm -hmm. So, so if anything, it's that codependent nature that says we will sacrifice our own self for the well-being of someone else. Mm -hmm. But in this case, we instead, what is better is to, okay, I've been hurt. This is, this has come out. What do I need for me to gain my own strength to see clear? Because what happens is we don't see clear if we're trying to save somebody else. We need to see clear what's going on, how we're feeling about it and take care of our needs because we're swirling inside. And then on the outside, we're pretending that all is well. Mm -hmm. So seeing clear is really important and healing your own wounds. There is trauma and shock and betrayal and the self-worth that we talked about earlier. All of those things are so important to heal in yourself. Otherwise, you're going to stay in these abusive patterns. And also, this is abuse. Lying, manipulating, deceiving is abuse. And so a lot of times people say, well, he's not hitting me. I honestly had no idea I was in an abusive relationship. Mm -hmm. I think of myself as very strong, very bold. I've talked and spoken things for business all my life. Yet here I was in this relationship and I did not see it for what it was. Yeah. The gaslighting where it changes your reality and you're thinking, okay, well, maybe I am wrong. Maybe they are okay. Maybe it's me. That's abuse, total abuse. So it's emotional abuse. And so that's another thing. It's like when we look at it for what it really is, we can get the help that we need. Oh my gosh, absolutely. And just really quick, last point I kind of want to hit on. Now that you are co-parenting with your ex, have you been able to kind of separate it yet? Like his addict self from the father of your children? Like, are, are you still in that learning process? No, that, that works just fine. And I had to get to the place where what he does is no longer any of my business. And what a lot of moms or people talk to me about is how do you let your kids go over there? How do you navigate that? I don't want to get divorced because I don't want to have my kids there. Or lose that control. Yeah, lose the control. And what we need to realize is that we also, just like we couldn't control our spouse, we shouldn't be controlling our children's circumstances or experiences. And yes, some terrible things might happen, but our job is to then guide them and walk them through it and show them truth. If we save them from the other parents' faults or weaknesses or bad behaviors, then they're not seeing the whole truth. And then they don't get to make the decision for themselves. It really is their journey here. And and they'll discover it sooner or later, nine times out of 10, Mm -hmm. they're going to come across it and might not have you to, to walk them through it. And yeah. And the main important piece is to have your home feel like it's safe for them. So if they come to my house and they feel safe and if they went to his and they didn't, and I'm not saying that they do or don't, but if that was the case, they'll start seeing the difference. When you're, when you grow up in just one home, that's all, you know, until you're out in the world. And then you're like, wow, my family was amazing. Or wow, we had problems, right? You don't know. Yeah. So seeing truth for everybody makes 
everybody feel better. I love that. Tell us about your happy place now though. I mean, I loved like you have kind of a happy ever after though now. So tell us where you're at now. Right. Okay. I recently got married in September. Yay. I know. It's so great. And we met 27 years ago, almost 28 now. No, you didn't. We did. We dated in college. (gasps) I know. Isn't that crazy? Just for a little, a short time, not enough to fall in love or anything, just a little bit of time. Oh my gosh. I know. And then he and ended up marrying somebody different. And then I met somebody else and we got married. But this last year, over a year ago, our mutual friend, his roommate, who I'm still friends with now, he called him and said, Hey, would you read a book if I sent it to you for your healing? And he's like, well, yeah, totally. And so he's like, okay, go look at the website. So he pulls up my book website at that time. Your beautiful picture. (laughs) Yes, author and all. (laughs) So funny. So he's like, oh my gosh, obviously he knows me. So so he he got the book from the friend and he said the first time he read it, it was as if I was sitting on his bed reading it to him. He could hear my voice. He could hear the words. And he... I know, right? She's going to cry. She's, <laughs> she's, she, she tears at things I'm like this. I've been tearing, but this right? is like the happy part. Well, right, because it's, and it shows that all the hell, I don't know if I can say that you on can, here, but girl. all the hell yes. you go through to see that really, there really are good things that happen alongside and it does make it make up for it. It really does. And you know what? Maybe you both had to go through your experiences to, to be where we are. To meet where you right. are today. Is he, so, is he divorced or widowed? Mm-hmm. He's divorced. Okay. Right. He's divorced. So he read my book. He read it like that. He was like going all the waves of the emotions. And I can't believe she went through this. And how did oh, she do that? Yes. And then he stopped after he read it. And he's like, wait. I'm supposed to be reading this for my healing. So he read it again and then he posted a review on Facebook just on his own page. We hadn't had any contact in all those years. I didn't even, I was friends with him on Facebook, but he never used it. So now that he was single, I think is probably why he kind of was. But all of a sudden this review pops up of, I just read this great book. And so I messaged him and just said, Hey, would you mind putting that on Amazon for me? Mm -hmm. If not totally okay, but thanks for the review. And then that was it. Oh. So he just kept messaging me and it was wonderful. And we just. And the rest is history. I know, it's and so you guys great. are like the cutest little Brady bunch. Yeah. Like your pictures. I'm like, they're a beautiful family. Oh. Oh. It's worked out great. And the kids oh, feel feel like it does too. I mean, divorce is terrible and we wouldn't wish it on people. No. However, there is really awesome stuff at the end. And when you find the right person that wants to do the work with you, it makes all the difference. Oh my gosh. Well, let's just ended on that. I know. Again, her book is Cutting Ties, Healing from Betrayal Trauma as the Spouse of an Addict. Roxanne, you are a light. You're a fighter. You are all the things. Oh my gosh. I'm so impressed by you. Oh, thank you so much. So inspiring. And I'm I, so glad the girl in Target I came know, up to you, Lauren. I know this was an inspired meeting. I was. was. I, I think our listeners, and I know I benefited from this, and I just, yeah, this was Absolutely. amazing. And go check out her podcast as well. It's called Choose In. She also comes out on Mondays. We release every Monday as well. So yeah, if you like what you hear here, go hit subscribe, leave us a rating and a review, and you can find us online at The Mom Voice Podcast. Roxanne, do you have um, your, your website? That's right. Tell us the website you're starting. The website is my name. It's Roxanne Kennedy Granada. And it just comes out on Monday. It's perfect. So exciting. So you it has find... everything on there. The book is on there. The podcast is on there. My mentor programs are on there. Everything. Perfect. Congratulations. Okay. Thank awesome. you. Awesome. All right, guys. Well, with that, we will leave you here. Yes. Take care of each other. Bye-bye.